0: Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is uh, Thursday, August second. No, not August. Or not 7. August second. I'm May sorry, May second. May second. August. August. Whoa. Zipping right through. August. 2nd. We'd know hey, a hell of a lot. Do we have KD, Andy. We'd
1: know a hell yeah. of a lot more answers now if it were August second. We than could see May the future. 2nd. If
0: we were the three-eyed raven like Bran, we could we'd know. They what just was going
1: discovered on. in Australia a three-eyed snake.
0: I know. It is creepy it's, as hell. It's like it's. They had one of those on The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, I mean, but this thing—it's got eyes on each side, and then, and then one in the middle, dead middle.
0: You know, people, that there's some sort of religion has sprouted up around that thing. Yeah. You find a snake with a, with an eye right in the middle of its head. I'm not, I'm not sure. Look, I wouldn't pray I, to it. I'm
1: not going to say which religions I would take the three eyed snake over. I'm just saying. I would take the three-eyed I, snake all, religion. I, I, I'm over not. Some.
0: I'm not a deeply religious person. I think it's. But sometimes <laughs> well,
1: I think it goes without saying. Since you're considering converting to three-eyed snake,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> or I'm so deeply religious that I consider all of them. I just feel like you know, like my family, for example. My I'm Jewish. You know, my, my wife is Catholic. We do a baptism for the kids. We do a baby. We 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 cross all our you know T's and dot our eyes. Whatever. Just to be safe, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I wouldn't do—what's the baby ceremony for the three-eyed snake religion? I'm not saying I wouldn't do it just to have my bases covered. Sure. These are turbulent times. Yes. Uh, all right, so uh, a fair amount to cover. We are still in that sort of dead period where the where there's not really free agency and the season's over. And, you know, we've made fun of Rob Polinka a lot. But anyway— um, so, but the, the Lakers are looking You're for a are saying we're you. in
1: danger of recycling material. I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Hence, we open with a three-eyed snake. Right.
0: I mean, there's a good chance we could recycle material, not just for our next show, but before the end of this one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the three-eyed snake. <laughs> so, the Lakers are looking for a coach, and two things are interesting about this, and you tell me where you want to start. The first thing is, uh, the, the searching party. <laughs> yes, uh, that's interesting in and of itself. The the gang, as <laughs> as I like to call them, um, and then who they're looking for, like who the candidates are. Where uh, would you like to begin?
1: Uh, let's begin with the gang. The so gang you brought it up first, right?
0: It sounds like a uh, like an episode of like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. The gang goes to hire a yes, exactly. goes to hire a coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and actually, they went to Philadelphia. Yes, they did. Um,
1: that's where Monty Williams was during one of his two. Interviews.
0: Do you know how to make memes? Because can yes. you put all these people into a picture and do that font, the gang goes to Philadelphia? You know what? If you're listening, can you do that and send it to us? I was going to say, that would be I, easier.
1: I can do that because I've made memes before.
0: But, but you got to get the pro- font right.
1: Well, it's not even it, – the font, yeah, but the, the biggest problem is finding – either finding a photo that has all the principles together. No, you got to put them in. Yeah, that's where I'd get lost. Yeah, like I'm, if I'm give, surprised nobody did that, though. If you give me well, – if you give me a pre-existing photo with all these people, I could make a
0: fun meme out of that. We, maybe we can just ask somebody to. We can tweet it out at Cam Brothers and see if somebody can do that for us. Uh, I, that's what I find the most value in Twitter mm-hmm. uh, is stuff like that. Um, so the gang goes to Philadelphia, and the gang now is Jeannie Bus, and this is the same gang that interviewed uh, the other guys too, John Howard, and Ty Lue. No matter where they are. so it's it's Genie Bus. And Rob Palenka, who's El Jefe these days, yes he is. Um, and Tim Harris, who runs the sort El of the business Guapo. side, he's kind of the the consigliere of the whole deal. Yes. Like you know, Tim does a lot of stuff. I
1: don't know if he's a consigliere. <laughs> I
0: don't know. War Or no, I'm just saying uh, you're about. No, no, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. Might be the consigliere. Consigliere. <laughs> um, But Tim I mean, is Tim Harris is
1: you know he's in the room and he's <laughs> happy about that. I don't know if he's the consigliere. Well,
0: it depends how sexist you want to be about the whole thing. Um, and uh, Kurt Rambis, yes, who apparently is part of the, the front office brain Seems trust now. Seems to be consolidating power. And Linda Rambis, yes, who is Kurt Rambis's wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, around the Lakers organization, it would be more accurate to call Kurt Linda Rambis's husband. <laughs> yes, because Linda has a lot more influence than Kurt does. Now, this is in- the Linda Rambis thing is is interesting because there are a lot of fans who are like, "WTF? When did this happen?" And it should be noted, Jeannie Buss and Linda Rambis have been close friends for decades at yes. this point. And Linda Rambis has always been a trusted confidant of Jeannie.
1: And she is the, uh, I don't know if it's president or manager of special events. events. And she she a has title. a title.
0: She, she has a title that doesn't seem like she'd be in the room for hiring the coach.
1: Right. Um, because it doesn't seem like it would make sense.
0: Right. Exactly. So... <laughs> The, the, that part of it's not necessarily different, that Jeannie would rely on Linda Rambis for uh, for advice, for counsel, whatever Feedback. it might be. Feedback. What is unusual is like, but Jeannie was not, like, 30 years ago when they were really good friends, and Jeannie was doing what she was doing in organization or whatever it was, she wasn't actually in charge of hiring and firing coaches, and she wasn't so the, the level of input that theoretically Linda Rambis would have as part of this process, and we don't know exactly what it is, like I like to think that Rob Palinka's vote in terms of basketball ops matters more,
1: or that he's conducting the interview. That he that he's primarily the guy running the interview.
0: <laughs> the only thing is, I worry that it would take too long uh, a Rob Palinka interview. He's um, just like Jeannie. You know, Jeannie wasn't in charge of that stuff back then. So now, if Linda is really an important part of. Making these significant basketball choices, it becomes something you go, oh, what is that? If she's just there as a representative of here's what we do in the organization, here's how we would use you in the community and all these other things, that's fine. I don't care. Sure. Um, I, I, then I go back to the, the my problem with why is Kurt Rambis here? Like, what does well, what does Kurt Rambis bring to the room okay. that's going to be attractive to either a coach or a free agent? Here
1: is the larger overarching issue with all of this, Brian. Yes. Is the idea that in a vacuum, Linda Rambis being in this room would be unconventional, I think, for most organizations. But it might not seem bizarre. Kurt Rambis being elevated, seemingly, and consolidating more power. He was brought in last year hired by magic as right. a uh, senior. hired by magic i believe by magic mm. well i mean f- to the best of my knowledge hired, hired officially hired by hired by magic well however hired by magic signed off by genie bus perhaps encouraged by genie bus as Buss. it's been
0: explained to me he just sort of showed up on the airplane well, one day
1: he, he got he and got that- hired for a position of senior basketball advisor right. which uh, in a vacuum wouldn't be that strange. Kurt Rambis is an NBA lifer. The idea of him being an advisor no, on the Knows what it is front... to be a
0: Laker. Well,
1: remove all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. Yeah. But remove that for now. Like, if, say, another organization around the league, if the Portland Trailblazers announced one day that they were bringing in Kurt Rambis to have an advisory role for their very built-out front office, nobody would think it's that strange. Yeah. I mean, whether, whether you expected it or not. They might not
0: think it's smart, but it's like, oh, Kurt Rambis is a basketball I person. I think
1: largely you would think it's a neutral. You wouldn't think of it positive or negatively. You largely would shrug. You know, Kurt Rambis has been around the NBA since the 80s. That's been his job. It wouldn't be that unusual. Right. The problem is the, the insularity that goes on with this organi- organization where everything turns inward when they're looking to hire. And when they're looking to fill important positions, the instinct, particularly under Jeannie Bus, but I would even say traditionally, has been to look inward, to look in the backyard and look no further. And during a time where things have been really difficult for the organization, they have not made the playoffs in six years, they've had the worst record over six years of any franchise in the NBA, I think common sense dictates that you would Start expanding outward, looking for more perspective from people who have been part of organizations sure. that have been that, more
0: successful. And that's the that's the argument against. That's why that's, why not search beyond Rob Palinka in the right, first place?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: I mean, Rob Palinka, his primary,
1: his primary attraction to Jeannie Bus was that familiarity from being Kobe's agent. Mm-hmm. And it gets back to the like you said earlier, Brian, <laughs> the knows what it means to be a Laker factor. But it also gets back to what seemingly Jeannie Buss values in terms of the people that she puts around her and keeps closest. And it's very obvious that she values trust and relationships built through a, you know, a personal interaction versus expertise. And I think it's a mistake. Not gonna argue with you. Um so this is th- and it's a continuation, by the way, of something that you and I have been writing about for the Athletic. You know, we, we cover mm-hmm. the Lakers for the Athletic. Begging them to stop doing this. And we're certainly not alone. It, it Nobody, nobody around the league or who covers the league seems to get why they're doing it this it's way. So the, unless they're playing five-dimensional chess that nobody else gets, right. it's pretty clearly it's a just, mistake.
0: It's one of these deals where... It's could they could Rob Palenka be a great? Yes, he could be. There's it's it's not that he's automatically terrible. It's just that you are making no effort. You know the the, uh, Gerson, uh, what's his name? Gerson uh, Robles was just hired by Minnesota to be. You know he's Daryl Morey's second in command for a long time. Guys like that around the league, they may apparently didn't even call David Griffin. Like you're not making an effort to find and and give access, give yourself access to. The best names, the the brightest candidates, whatever it might be, around the league, and really use the leverage that the Lakers still have, um, which is the ability to go and pay people whatever you want, hire people, and do it, and you know throw buckets of money at people, then tell them you know get them to come take your jobs, and so they just the process of this is really bad. But what's
1: you're also turning out really quickly before you, yeah. before you get to the next point, you're also turning down the opportunity to hurt other organizations
0: hurt by other organizations their people. interviewing when you interview candidates from other organizations you're essentially doing spy work yes. you know you're learning ah, what is it that Houston does what is it that Portland does i mean you you're wasting the opportunity just to get intel on other yes. teams there's no question the the what, the the process is bad and we've talked about it and we've written about it the actual candidates that they're interviewing are fine I don't have a problem. Like, if you look at the three main guys, and it's Jawan Howard, uh, who is a, a, an assistant—not the lead assistant, but an assistant on the staff of Eric Spoelstra. Has been there for six years, I believe, uh, with Eric Spolster in Miami. It's Monty Williams. It's Ty Lue. Given who's available, and once you got past the Lakers fire, Luke Walton, and wait, let's get Rick Carlisle. Let's let's pry away. You know, this guy or you know, Brad Stevens whoever. Once the the this, this standard, the Lakers of the Lakers, they can go get who they want. Thing passed. You look at the market. That's about. I mean, I like all three of those guys better than Mark Jackson. I like all of them better than Jason Kidd.
1: Certainly. I mean, Mark Jackson. I I think is. I think it's worth interviewing Mark Jackson if for no other reason just to what wi- you want to widen the net. I think in terms of just your overall search, but also too, it's it's worth it doing it just for appearances' sake.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just for fine. The I, I don't have a but if they say you know what we look at that and it's just not that's not going to okay. be what we want. I'm okay with that, sure, because I don't th- I don't think he's a great candidate. Um, those three guys make sense based on who's available. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, they're probably not going to hire Jawan Howard. That I, I I wish they were in a position where they could, whether it's him, whether it's David Vanderpoel, who was getting a lot of attention in Portland as an assistant, one of these guys who you could really do that search. In, I, I'm a big believer in, in finding the best talent or, you know, who's the nec- next Nick Nurse or what – next Nick – that's hard. They don't have the space for that. Like, this is – like, they don't the, – the learning curve for the coach next year needs to be super-duper quick. And if you bring in Jawan Howard, I don't care how talented he is, first time as a head coach, there's going to be some adjustment period. They can't afford that next well, there's year. Just, there's just too – also too, too, too much too, pressure.
1: There's too much pressure. There's too much chaos there's too right,
0: much, now. right. There's just too much. It's too much. And so I would cross him off the list for that. They should interview him. Interview him twice, which they have, whatever. I would love for them to interview another couple of assistants. That leaves Monty Williams and Ty Lu. Why you would hire Monty over Ty Lu to me, is a mystery. If you compare them as tacticians... Tyloo gets better grades than Monty Williams does.
1: That's the general consensus. Yes. I mean,
0: you know, granted, Tyloo generally had better rosters, good LeBron to work yes. with, and less mis. And when Monty Williams had David West, Tyloo inherited
1: Paul. literally a championship caliber. Right.
0: Team. And when Monty had uh, Chris Paul and David West, when he looked a lot smarter than when he didn't. But the the general consensus is Tyloo's a better tactical yes. coach.
1: Um It's been. I mean, to be fair to Monty Williams, it's been a while since we've seen what it looks like. When he's the one in charge, right? And what's
0: crazy is, like, it was 2014, 2015, I think it was his last year. How different the league is now yes, than just exactly. then.
1: Exactly. Uh, our friend Pete Zayas with uh, Silver Screen and Roll, and you can find him on uh, Twitter, uh, Lakers, uh, Lakers Laker Film, film room. Guy, like a film room. Excuse me. Um, he's done a lot of really good uh, video breakdowns mm-hmm. of Monty Williams's offense, Ty Lue's All offense, of them, yeah. and that's one of the points he actually brought up is just like how quickly things have changed. In just three or four years from the last time Monty Williams was, you know, in charge, right. I did. I
0: did a, I did a, a, a bunch of Q and A's with guys who covered these three coaches, and one of the questions I asked uh, John Reed, who covered, he now works in Jacksonville covering the Jaguars, but he covered uh, basketball in New Orleans for 17 years. Um, his basic thing was like, the question about how would Williams be different. it's like he thinks he would be more flexible now, uh, but it's a different league. You push pace differently. Your players are going to be different, and then. You know, like a lot of guys, I think he's one of those guys like Luke Walton who is, do you give him good players? If you give him good players that make sense with a with a scheme, he's probably going to be fine. Um,
1: and Monty Williams is also known for being terrific at building interpersonal relationships. That's his biggest
0: strength. Right. And that would be probably the one place where he has uh, maybe a little bit higher grade than Ty Lue. Um, but Lou's, the perception of Lue in that regard is also very very well respected around the league as well and more importantly has a hit the ground running relationship with lebron and i, I you know maybe williams and williams and lebron have a relationship from team usa and other places but Tyler's coached him he knows the deal he knows the infrastructure he knows lebron's people he knows all of that and given that and he wants the job if they're not going to go and hire other people And they interview other people. Or they're not waiting for X, Y, or Z candidate to become available. Maybe they are. Or they're not waiting for a president of basketball operations who might want to make this decision himself. And maybe they are, but I don't think so.
1: I don't get that impression.
0: I don't know why they wouldn't just hire Ty other than there's no rush because he's not going
1: anywhere. I I was going to say, I mean, and I don't mean this... I don't mean this as a ding against Ty Lue. No, he's,
0: he's not a candidate for the other jobs, and he wants – Ty Lue wants to see what happens here first.
1: Right. I mean, he's seemingly not a candidate for any other job, period, which isn't, which isn't to say he's not a good coach. It just – does not there's only one Canada other
0: opening anymore. right now, and it's Phoenix.
1: Right, but you never know what could end right. up opening up. You know, I mean, there's there's talk that if, if the Sixers get eliminated in this round against the Raptors, that that job becomes right. available. Right, in which, which case which it would
0: probably go to Monty Williams. Could go
1: to Monty Williams unless Monty Williams decides to go to Phoenix, who reportedly uh, they're willing to just offer the job. It, yeah. It's him. Uh, it's his willingness to take it. But but seemingly there's no rush to hire Ty Lue, and I wonder if optically the Lakers are trying to create the appearance. That this you know that this isn't just a fait accompli, perfunctory hire bringing yeah. in LeBron's guy. LeBron's guy. I don't know if necessarily the time it takes to hire matters.
0: Well, I, it,
1: in terms of that perception, if you, if you that hire Lou,
0: perception. If you hire Lou, it's going to be seen as a a LeBron, not a LeBron hire. Like LeBron said, go hire that guy, but a a hire centric hire, a hire that is centered around LeBron James, but. I mean, I get the idea that you don't want to see, like, we don't want to seem like LeBron runs things around especially here, especially
1: after what happened at the deadline with Clutch and Rich right. Paul and Anthony Davis. The notion
0: that you wouldn't want to, you know, hire a coach that you know is going to fit really well with LeBron James in a year where they they, they can't afford to do this again. This year has to be better, and like the idea that you wouldn't do that with Lou. I mean, it it just it. I don't see why, like, if they're trying to avoid that criticism, I think it's unnecessary because it's the smart thing to do.
1: The only thing I would say in terms of that, because I generally agree with you, I mean, the politics of this stuff matters. Sure. What you do want to avoid, though, if you're the Lakers, unless it is just, practically speaking, impossible, is if Ty Lue is not somebody you would otherwise hire, Right. if LeBron wasn't the coach... You Freudian, may have to do it anyway, but if Lebron wasn't I mean, the coach. If Le- Freudian slip. <laughs> Boy, that was a Freudian slip. If Lebron was not on this team, you may have to do it anyway, but it sh- it should give you pause. It
0: should, Be- but, because the Lakers. But that's true. But isn't that true of all coaches? Like, it, would we hire this guy if we didn't have star A, B, C, D, whatever? Like, this yep. guy fits with this player that we but, have. But it, it is. I, but there, I get what you're saying. But there's but, a
1: difference though between like when the Lakers hired Mike D'Antoni. He fits Steve Nash stylistically beyond the relationship that they had. Sure, this is really about tailoring to LeBron on a you know, more personal level than X and O. I mean, you. It
0: is, although he tailored the offense to LeBron. Well, no,
1: he inherit, but he more inherited an offense that was in some ways tailor made for
0: LeBron. Okay, I can see. What you're and Le- mean, again, he ran. He ran, the offense, of he ran the offense. He ran the offense and a system that. That is the but, system that most people find, looked at it and said, right? Is but he you the could only find somebody that? else who would of course, do that. Of course. And, and, of course,
1: all I'm saying is, if Ty Lue's, if if one of the big appeals to Ty Lue is he has this relationship with LeBron, fine. Because again, you got to be practical yeah, makes a about lot of sense. this. If that's reason A, B, C, D, and you know half of E, and you otherwise are like, I don't know if we'd bring this guy in. It's got to give you at least enough pause to consider is this a good idea because they've got to stop the carousel. Yeah,
0: that's like, right. I mean,
1: you don't want to be hiring Ty Lu with the idea of, okay, in three years we're going to be doing this again.
0: Um, Yes and no. I mean, I, I think I, I'm less worried about that because the, the next three years are far more critical than what happens in the three years after. Like, ideally you want a guy who's going to transition out of LeBron and into the next guy and whatever, but it's not worth the, – the, the premium has to be on – this year, next year, the three years you have left with LeBron. And you worry about, geez, the optics of us having to change coaches again in three years. Worse. But you know what's worse? Hiring a guy that doesn't work with your star I, now look, because I, you're worried about you need, having to change you coaches to again hi- in three years. Fine,
1: you need to hire a coach that works with LeBron. I'm just saying I'd like to think that the only sure, coach I mean, out there that works with with LeBron, isn't Ty Lue? It's That's probably all I'm no.
0: It's not. I, I, and it probably isn't. But he's probably the easiest one to plug sure. in and the the lowest risk candidate that you can and, put and there. For, look for what it's worth. He's probably a better coach look, than Monty Williams. It,
1: for what it's worth, I'm not saying there's any reason to believe that the Lakers are only doing this because of LeBron. I'm just saying if that they need to make sure that this is somebody the, that, sure. that 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 they like. Otherwise, because especially when you consider that Ty Lue is about to turn 42, meaning he's young enough to, in theory, be the guy for the next decade, next seven years, It's it would be nice if they're going into this thinking that's a possibility. Yeah,
0: I would like to think that they are. Um, and, again, given the available candidates, um, he's no less likely to do that than anybody else they'd be sure. looking at. Um, interesting thing that uh, I, we read this week from – Kirk Goldsberry and I, 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 part part of this is interesting, and in part because uh, the Lakers, we spent so much time talking about three point shooting this year, um, and also be just because whoever comes in, like, how do you build a roster that fits stylistically with what you want with the modern game and all this kind of, and it's all three pointers, and the Lakers can't shoot three pointers and they suffered for it or whatever. Uh, he wrote, he's got a book out that's really all about the explosion of three pointers in the NBA. It's called
1: Sprawl Ball. Um, I was very excited. It got sent to me unexpectedly by oh, sweet. the publisher.
0: When you're done with it, I would like to read that. Uh, but he's got an article up on ESPN.com, I think which is sort of an excerpt from Sprawl Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, just the headline is, the NBA obs- is obsessed with three, so let's finally fix a thing. And in it, he proposes a bunch of different things around the three-pointer uh, and talks about it. There are a couple things that have stuck out to me as kind of fascinating. And there are two different proposals. The first one, uh, one of the things he, that Kirk Goldsberry proposes is that teams could essentially set their own three point line. So Golden State's three point line at whatever the new arena they're building next year could be different than the one the Lakers have at Staples Center Pretty far. It could be really far, it could be closer, it could it could be shaped differently like maybe you have like a little indentation where it's closer in some places. It would essentially turn the three point line into baseball park. Baseball outfield walls. Yeah. You can create your own dimensions. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like I, I just like I like the idea. But the idea behind it is you tailor that to your roster. And some people would say Golden State, the example in Golden State that he gives is some people might say, Oh, you'd want to move that in because their guys are so good. But really what they would probably do is move it back to like twenty eight feet because nobody else would be able to make three pointers and Steph and Clay could just stand out there and bomb. Cause Steph's like a, still like a thirty nine percent three point shooter from thirty feet. Um, so that was one thing. And then the second thing is the big criticism of three-point ball is that it kind of has ruined the game. And now all anybody does is stand out there and shoot threes. And it's based on the analytics, which say that if you can hit more than 33% of your three-point shots, it's, you, you get more value per shot than you do hitting half of your twos. Yes. What the NBA could do, though, is use the analytics that they have now on the shot charts and all that kind of stuff – to move the three-point line to that place where, give or take, the league would shoot 33%. And that would mean guys who are like 36% shooters and whatever, where it's still a decent value shot at 23 feet, if you move it back to 25 or 26, they got a choice to make. they got a choice to make, and maybe they're not so good from out there, and so they stop shooting them. And now you open up the paint again, and now guys who are standing out at the three-point line move closer. He talks about eliminating the corner three or doing yes. it differently so that you can't just camp people out there for that uh, that high-percentage shot or whatever it might be. And so setting aside the kind of the gimmickry of the first proposal of creating your own three-point line, which I just think is kind of fun. It'd be kind of neat. The second part I think is cool because it's like it's using analytics to counter... The criticisms of analytics and yeah. improve the game, which I thought was just a, a really interesting way of looking at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea of you know your own personalized team personalized three point lines is it's impractical in the way that I actually think would hurt the game because you're going to end up with really sloppy games from road teams. I think like it starts becoming too difficult to plan for, and you st- you start yeah, it's a te- good point. You you start having teams that really can't function the way those lines are set up and i actually think you're going to worsen the product more than you're because
0: strategically in baseball you might tweak your own outfield you have a you want guys if you have a big park you want guys with more range who can cover ground maybe sacrifice some home runs you know in boston you you need a certain kind of outfielder who can uh, you know play off the green monster or hit the ball over it or whatever but fundamentally, it's still the same Well, and game. also,
1: too, I mean, the way baseball's set up, you, when you visit a road team, you're there three or four nights. Right. So you might play
0: sixteen games there a year, right? But but you, you also while league.
1: you're there, you have time to start adjusting to what's going on, as opposed to you know dropping in for one night. And you've got this goofy curvy three point line. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> no,
0: that's that's a really good point.
1: So I it's I don't fun. it'd be fun. No, yeah. I, here's what I would love to see, and you know somebody like Kirk Goldsberry do this: draw out what every team's ideal three, three point, point yeah. line looks like. Like mm-hmm. yeah, that would be just fun to look at just from a visual standpoint of trying to understand teams better, the idea of eliminating the short corner three, I think, makes sense. The idea of moving it back makes sense. One thing, and, and I've not read all of Sprawball. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, again, I was very excited to get it. I haven't it, either. You know, I just read the article. Um, but Well, the reason I'm saying this is I don't know if th- this comes up in, in somewhere in Kirk's book. I, for me personally, I don't think the, the increase in volume of three-point shooting – has hurt the aesthetics of the game as much as the specifically like spread, pick, and roll, or sometimes just sort of spread one guy at the top, not even getting a screen, which is essentially just iso ball with four guys camped. I think that's what really starts making things feel static and kind of a slog. Because if you look at a team like the Golden State Warriors, who bomb threes? They move the ball constantly
0: oh, yeah, a ton. And, but and that's his point though really is fun to watch. you have more movement. The, the part of the reason you can camp three or four guys out, stand a guy in the corner, do whatever, is because a person who you know guys who used to shoot twenty seven percent from three now shoot thirty seven percent from three. But if that 37 percent shooter became a 31 percent shooter again, no question, then that you got to do something. No, else I other. I
1: get where the I, so I, you
0: end up with more movement. Oh, that sure, I,
1: I get I get where that happens. I'm just saying that my goal would actually be more movement mm-hmm. as opposed to necessarily less three point shooting.
0: Well, I, sure, and I think that that's I think what he's getting at too. And where I think the the NBA, like that's the kind of reasonable proposal that rules changes that I think the NBA actually would consider. Yeah. Because, you know, it's baseball's trying to figure this out. Like, what do we do about the shift? What do we do about, you know, these, this or that or whatever? And basketball, one of the things I love about basketball, and Goldsbury goes through this as well in the article, and just this litany of rules changes, whether it's the mic and rule, you widen the paint, you, you know, hand checking rules, move the three pointer, invent the three pointer, move the three pointer back. It was all of this stuff. Like, the NBA, one of the things I think is great about it is how willing they are to tinker with their rules. Mm-hmm. And the amount of changes that have come in the NBA compared to something like baseball, where they are sort of petrified at anything. Like, remember how people freaked out in, in baseball about, like, the intentional walk? Just saying, go. Well, what, you know, you, well, you got to make him throw the ball. Like, every once in a while you get a pass ball. Or every once yeah, in, like, in a while the guy reaches like
1: 500 pitches. Right, meanwhile, so...
0: we're all just standing around watching somebody. Right. Put their arm out and throw four balls. Just go, like right, exactly. That, but people that that created angst.
1: I remember a time in 1974 right. when I'm old enough to remember when Johnny you had to Bench throw four throw pitches. And like, shut, shut up. up. Yeah,
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> but like basketball doesn't do that, and so like I actually think like you could do something like this very easily. You know, test drive it in the G League or whatever. But like that's a great idea, and just what struck me about it, I don't have to belabor the point, is just the concept of for all these people who think that analytics is ruining how the game is played, and I disagree completely. I think it's made it into a much better game because people understand you know, what's valuable, what's good, what creates space and scoring and all these other things. Is using that same math to be like, oh, okay, well, let's try to get some balance in here because one thing that I think would definitely help is making the court bigger because players are just so much bigger, faster, stronger than they used to be. The problem is that would screw up Planning in arenas too much. Like, if you widen yeah. the court, seating charts have yes. to— I mean, it's a, it sort of sounds stupid, but it's it's the logistics of that are too complicated. But to, to get back to— Too the, much the, yeah, money you know, at stake.
1: To, to get back to an earlier point you made, Brian, just about the NBA's willingness to be flexible and forward-thinking, you mentioned before, like, baseball and, you know, the the conversation about the shift. What's always the way this conversation is framed? Do you eliminate the shift or not? Right? It's just keep it, eliminate it. Like keep it or it dies. like one or the other. There's no, okay, let's tweak it. let
0: I mean, what if you just what if you made it so you couldn't move past this area? You need to have three players on one side, like
1: right, exactly. because like, look, the t- truth of the matter to me is like if if a if a defense can't make a shift work, bad on them, if a hitter, can't manage to hit a ball where nobody is bad on them. Like you It's know, hard. Right. Like, th- this is part of the game. And the idea of eliminating something altogether because, you know, either people are complaining about it too much or, you know, it's, it's essentially a strategy that's working too well,
0: right? Well, the,
1: it's very draconian.
0: The difference is, and this is where – this is where I think the the other, the other thing that's different about analytics, and one more thing we want to get into before we're done here, but I've I've had this argument with with a bunch of people. Analytics have made basketball better because they have exposed things that are I think more fun. That running is good, and the kind of shots that are more efficient and more likely to go in, and you know three point shooting and and attacking the basket and all this kind of stuff that have I think improved the game. It's more fun to watch. I don't care what people say. Basketball is more a a better aesthetic game now than it was in the nineties. You know, in the Jordan versus the Knicks, and everybody just beat the crap out of each other, and you win ninety one to eighty eight. Like that sucked. It was it was exciting and interesting and whatever, but it wasn't pretty. Baseball, because it turned out a lot of things people were doing in basketball were stupid and wrong, uh, and and the and the improvements are better. Baseball is sort of the opposite. All the stuff that made baseball in the 80s really fun to watch. Stealing bases and hitting runs and all this. We grew up in the Cardinals in the 80s and Astro, like AstroTurf. It's like carpet. And all you do is steal bases. Like it was really fun. Like people are constantly moving everywhere. It turned out all of those things were counterproductive. (laughs) Yes. None of them were actually good for winning. They were fun to watch, but they weren't good for winning. What's good for winning? Hit a bunch of goddamn home runs and strike people out. Like that's it. That's what we want. Um, Strike this mother bleeper. Exactly. Um, and so analytics, the stuff that is productive in baseball, that helps teams win, that managers are therefore going to do and whatever, endless platoons and matchups out of the bullpen and all that. No. You know, that that stuff is less exciting and slows the game What's down. The- what I want is a reliever who comes in in the sixth and pitches to everyone. And that's what you do. And meanwhile, everyone's stealing bases. on My team would lose. <laughs> but I would enjoy I watching it more. It's
1: like a lot of things in life, the things that are necessary and would, you know, solve a problem most effectively are the least fun. Often I mean like I mean like <laughs> often it, think yeah, about, you know, often. The, the personal relationships you have and the issues that come up in personal relationships with your wife, husband, family, you know, work, whatever. Usually the best solution would be the most direct and blunt and, you know, just <laughs> Focused on efficiency solutions. Yeah,
0: it's the it's what is it like the Occam's razor thing? Like right. the most the most plausible answer is li- the likely one or whatever.
1: Right. Except usually that's the least fun, <laughs> and that yeah. can be often the least enjoyable tact. Exactly. You know, it's,
0: it's like, why we don't do any of that in sports talk radio. Exactly. Uh, but just but my only defense, it's, it's sort of a defense of baseball in the sense of analytics have. Are hurt baseball in ways that it helps other sports helps football hockey's become a better sport because people understand this stuff better basketball definitely baseball has actually been made worse and i don't know how you fix that without encouraging people making people do things that are counterproductive to winning right um last thing before we go super fascinating weekend we had uh last week in entertainment uh avengers and game of thrones yes um, I actually managed to see both. We took right. the kids to Avengers on Sunday, and then Sunday night, I watched the Battle of Winterfell, along with what is it, 17.5 million of my fellow h- humans. Mm-hmm. Um, these were two, and like y- you can't be on the internet kind of things until you've watched them if you're concerned about spoiler type events. There aren't many yeah, you of basically those have to go off the grid. and I did. And which and thankfully, there was no Sunday night NBA game because my routine, when I'm watching these playoff games, is to hop on Twitter, watch the stuff. But I can't because it's mixed in with Game of Thrones stuff. Um, So I've been able to do that. We don't get a lot of those anymore, these sort of very communal event movies, very communal event television that have a kind of a wide enough crossover that it really is the event that people are talking about. Well, I mean,
1: you don't get it in television just because there's so much content out there. It's really hard for everyone to land on one thing, and you don't get it in movie theaters because the communal experience of going to the theaters in the first place has begun to evaporate. Right, you need a... And I in part because of the increased content that's on television, but also to the increased delivery services. And
0: you, you know, you need... It almost requires a 22-movie series that is coming essentially, not to an end, but kind of this this part of it yes. is coming to an end. like. If there were only three Avengers movies, if it was, uh, you know, one of the Captain Americas plus Infinity War plus this, you're not if getting the, the,
1: If it's the Christopher Nolan Batman series, right, you're not getting the There's
0: same. Right, you're not getting the same kind no. of response. This, this is going on since 2008. Yeah, and isn't it's, that when the first Iron Man yeah, came out? Yeah, Iron Man came out in 2008.
1: 2008. And I mean, what's happened with this in terms of, you know, the universe building that now you're seeing other. You know, you're, you're seeing other franchises look to do, whether you're talking about with Star Wars or, you know, like the Fast and the Furious spin-off with uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Which and I'm the, going to go see. Oh, <laughs> my God, that looks amazing. I'm that going to see that movie.
0: so... And I think we should binge-watch the other ones on the way.
1: I, I don't need to binge-watch them. <laughs> I should binge-watch them on the <laughs> you, way. You maybe should. I'm good.
0: They're Brian. all up here. <laughs> Brian,
1: I, I, I've got Fast and the Furious pretty well covered. Yeah, that's true. That's been, that's been my jam for a while. But, you know, the- the
0: Sir, were you texting and driving? No, I was just thinking about the Fast and the Furious in I mean, my the, brain. The, the,
1: the, the impetus and the environment for, you know, something like Marvel, and, you know, the, it doesn't exist on a lot of levels, whether you're talking about the the content that's being made, although ironically, it's shaped the content that's being made. Like, oh, no you know, question. I mean, like, w- we've seen right now, especially like over the last 10 years, the last five years- just how much the the Marvelization effect, you know, the reliance
0: f- on franchises, the creation of franchises, is sure,
1: and it affects what gets made now. It get it affects what gets released when, you know, it big reflects, studio budgets, all that Right, kind of stuff. it it affects. You know, there are fewer movies that are getting made. Period. I mean, there. It, it's an interesting time in that you know the the Marvel movies themselves. I think by and large. You know, I like some more than others. Yeah, but they're, they're very they're few well of them
0: done. are very few of them are just pure crap. No,
1: they're they're well done, but the actual effect on the industry, I don't know if it's that good.
0: Yeah, and what, the other part that I think is kind of of I mean that's and that that's an argument that I'm I get a sort of I understand the the it's so tied into also too like what they're making now on TV and what the you know you, you know movie style, you know, the 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 Game of Thrones, the Battle of Winterfell episode is essentially a 80 minute movie. Yes. And they're going to be making three more of those I think before the end of this. I think the last three are all like around that length of 100 minutes or 120 minutes or something like that. The final three Game of Thrones. Um, you see now limited series where they make six episodes of something yes. which is essentially like making a six hour movie. Yeah. You know, a two part movie or whatever it might be. Like the, the availability of storytelling in that way is not is no longer confined to theaters, and it's it's you know you're no longer obligated to kind of play that either or I got to make a two and a half hour movie or I have to make a fourteen episode series or twenty episode series that needs to be able to run for five years. You know now if you can sell a great concept to TNT, they want the limited the limited series of. Six episodes or whatever that, and that's self-contained and it never appears again, and so that that's just different. I don't think it's wor- it's worse for movies and the sort of concept of making movies and what the gets concept into of a, making movies. The what of gets into theater movies. going together and all that kind of stuff. I'm not necessarily sure it's bad for sort of the creation of good entertainment. It's got upsides and downsides. Yeah. But it's 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 different. Yeah, it, it opens opportunities in some places and shortens I mean, them my, in others. My
1: God, I mean, there's so many venues now uh, for content. There's so many different places now looking for original content. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, the in that sense, it's been really great for the opportunities for people looking to make to make stuff like that. The way it affects storytelling, though, I think is interesting, just in the sense that you know these you know, chapter, the, the, you know, these type of stories that are set up in chapters, or, you know, if you're looking at intellectual property and looking to set it up as a type of universe and create a universe out of it, like, we've seen this with, you know, Marvel at times. I think we've definitely seen it with, like, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. There can be a lot of setup, and there can be a lot that feels like when the end comes of this particular installment, it can feel like a stall. You know, like, there, there's a lot of setup. There's a lot of hurry up and yeah, wait. Yeah, there is. Like, you know, the I have found, for example, with the, with the Marvel movies, the ones that I like the most have been, in, in no particular order, the first Iron Man, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok the Ant-Man movies. Great. And the commonality in all of those is that they're <laughs> self-contained.
0: They are. I mean, sort of. I mean, they all have something they, to do with They but,
1: all have something to do with the others, but they, they are...
0: They're l- the Avengers stories. movies, the, the Captain America, you know, the Civil War, Captain America. Right. Civil- there's a I, lot more I, right. set
1: up. There's a lot more time spent just getting everybody on. And, the I, and there was there was agree.
0: There was. And it's funny. Like I saw. You know, obviously. And this is the other thing. I well, The other thing I want to have a quick discussion about before uh, before we're done. Like there's there was something about the reaction to these movies, too, like, you know, I would say for a gigantic movie like it is with incredible expectations and so much hype, the reviews and the response both sort of critically and from viewers for Endgame has been really good. Yes, Um, Much better than you would expect because you almost expect some people just to bitch for the sake of it. And they will. And they will and they have. People
1: complained before they even saw the movie. Right.
0: It's funny because like a lot of what people like about the movie is – the, the fan payoff it's that the first hour and a half two hours really isn't an action movie it's sort of a it's a bit of a heist movie it's a lot of character stuff and whatever i took my kids to the movie uh, my nine-year-old was into it pretty much from the beginning i think it followed along my six almost seven year-old was starting to actually leaned over to me at one point and said when does the fun stuff happen um and it's quite a blurb and right as it gets where you could sort he was like eh. Then the action part of the movie kicks in. For a lot of people, the action part was the least satisfying because it's like, okay, we've seen this before. Exactly. In a Marvel, like the gigantic battle at the end.
1: That actually has often been, whether you're talking about Avengers or like Civil War. Right. Like the sort of the formula. Like that's I think those I think those sections can be up and down. Like I think they did it extremely well in Infinity War, some of those. Oh yeah. It's great. But I thought in Civil War a lot of it was
0: Yeah, a lot of and it and Ultron gets a lot of it little, felt like filler. And so my perspective in watching it, and I'm not I've seen most of these movies. Yes. Piecemeal some of them. Yeah. Uh, all the way through, straight through as a viewer in some of them. I've seen most of them. I've seen it certainly enough of them, but I'm not a fanboy in the same way that some people are. So I don't need a lot of the 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 character payoff in some ways. I'm watching it sort of with my kids, kind of watching them watch it. And so my reaction is different. Game of Thrones, I've watched every episode, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of complaining about how that episode played out. Mostly in terms of, and by now most people have seen it. We're going to watch. I think spoiler alert for these things is almost stupid at this point. You can't avoid it. You know, like there just wasn't enough death. Like too many, like too many characters. Our friend Jeff Katz complained about this. Like they, they really did cop out. Like nobody important died in ways that are were a cop out not because they you know you worry they can't kill off somebody but like it's just it was ridiculous that none of these none of them died. like nine people lived through this battle and eight of them were people we care about um but that said what i think is really funny about it is 17 and a half million people watched that however many how much money did Endgame make in its opening weekend domestic
1: yeah. 350
0: 350 and then it's 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 on track to make like over a billion it already has made over a billion. It oh, there made
1: you. 1.2 uh, worldwide. Okay. Like, by opening weekend.
0: Whether you're talking Game of Thrones or that, all of those people aren't on Twitter. And I think what's funny about, like, our reaction to these things, and it's the same thing with NBA Twitter when we watch it. I think we forget. Same thing with politics. Yeah, political Twitter, absolutely. You know, the Democratic primary. Like, we forget most people aren't sitting on Twitter Granularly breaking down their enthusiasm for Bernie versus Elizabeth Warren, just or reading fake Facebook, memes. whatever they're doing. I'm not saying <laughs> I approve. Their Maybe they I'm, should. I'm kidding, I'm but kidding. but but it's this, it's the same thing. No, I, and we work in this business, so we we sit in these things and we and we feel like how could they do this and why didn't they pay off that and we forget that the most of the world for as many Marvel fanboys as there are and Reddit chat boards and people on Twitter and Facebook and this and that. Most people don't live in that world, or if they do, they're still willing to go, eh, it's a movie, or Game of Thrones, like me. I've watched every episode. I love the show. I think it's great. I can still look at it and go, all right, you know that was a really entertaining, if completely ridiculous episode of television. I wish they'd done this differently, but I still like it. There's that tendency now to want to just destroy all of it because – I don't know. It becomes too precious, or whatever it is that I think. I, I think we assume that everybody else is doing the same well,
1: thing. Just, I, I just think it's it's tribal. I mean, like as far as what you're talking about in terms of the social media uh, reaction to it and the way people engage this content on social media. Social media. I mean, my God, we've seen this, and it's it's pretty ugly at times. Social media is a tribal venue. Oh like, yeah. It is. A, it is a tribal atmosphere, and you know, there. We also too. It it. it it a lot. It's created this atmosphere where everybody's, everybody has the ability to put a pin an opinion out there, and then there is a currency on the reaction to that opinion, and then the reaction to the reaction and it
0: happens so fast.
1: Right, and then things things become viral that become you know the opinion that you need to react to, or the the. Point in say games and Game of Thrones, something that happened in an episode that people don't like. You know, like for example, how dark the you know the literal it really dark, was. And, it like, was literal, very dark, right? Like literally I, dark, right? But I'm just saying, like that becomes this big talking point that everybody feels like they have to comment on, even if their comment is stop complaining that it's too dark. And if it's
0: it's the other part of the, I think this phenomenon that is interesting, and it happens in sports, it happens everywhere. It's if something is not perfect, it's terrible. Yeah. If, you know, it's too, you know, like, Game of Thrones, yeah, I can pick apart some things in that episode. I, I But the battle episodes, to me, have always been the least interesting. The spectacle episodes, the dragon episodes, I'm actually kind of excited that a lot of these people lived in that it killed off the Night King. You know that by now, I'm sorry. That, you know, because it, now it allows, the Night King, to me, it was always sort of uninteresting because... He was the least nuanced character. He's just the knight doesn't talk to him. He's just going to come conquer humanity and that's the end of it. And if he wins, humanity dies. That's not very interesting. It's it's important, but it's not interesting. The people and the politics of this show are always what's been. Now the people can get back to arguing and fighting each other and seeing who's going to end up on the Iron Throne at the end. That to me has always been what's been interesting. So I'm okay with the fact that some of these things didn't work out in a realistic way because it allows more people to now get to the stuff that I like. It requires some suspension of disbelief and a willingness to say 80% of this is good, so I'm going to I'm going to be satisfied that I like 80% of this hour and a half of my life and I like the Avengers. It wasn't perfect but like that that doesn't work anymore like you just you're not allowed to have it's it's very binary and it's it's weird and frustrating and stupid
1: well i mean this this also though this stuff you know these things that we now communally are attracted to they take up a lot of our like energy and our focus and you know people feel strongly about them because in this particular case with game of thrones or marvel they're one of the few things that like we said at the beginning people still there's that much commonality of interest
0: where you can say to someone most thing
1: most things don't have enough fandom right. or enough people paying attention that there are that many
0: people you can argue with right, even like seven let I me mean, how many people watched the last episode of MASH uh i'll look it up so real quick and we'll go yeah i got to get going uh watched the last episode it's a it's a gajillion it's something
1: like 100 million people i think
0: and so that just tells you how much tele- television has changed like Game of Thrones is about as communal. This episode of Game of Thrones is about as communal. Probably twenty million to watch the last one. That's nothing compared to what how many people watch these other things. The, the mash one hundred and six million yeah, people.
1: I knew it was something like that. It was
0: insane. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, it's it was, it was a really fascinating weekend in pop culture. Uh, we will come back when the Lakers do something. Don't know what it is yet. Probably hire Ty Lue. Um, drafts coming. See everyone then. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)